Well, as you well know, we are starting a new term, and with it, we are starting a new series here at St. Andrew's, a series called The Message of the Cross. Uh, This series is going to carry us through to Easter, appropriately, Uh, and so that's what term one is going to look like. And I've got two aims for this series, and I want you to know them, uh, because I want you to look for them. Uh, And the first one of those is I want us to hear how the Bible explains Jesus' death on the cross, how the Bible explains Jesus' death on a cross. There's many people out there with many ideas about the cross and about Jesus. That's fine. But what's God's understanding of the cross and of his son's death? That's the important one. And the Bible explains Jesus' death and the cross in several ways. And these explanations of the cross, they, they all build on each other and they overlap and they help us to understand this most important of events for our relationship with, with God. If we get the cross wrong, we'll get pretty much everything wrong, actually. Uh, we need to get this right. Uh, secondly, I want us to think about how these explanations of the cross equip us to tell others about Jesus. Now, we have to understand how they apply to us first, but the consequence of them, the overflow of them, is that they prepare us to make Jesus known to others. Two aims. Hopefully, you can sort of store them away somewhere in there and remember them as we go through this term. And today, we're starting with 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 to 25. And this is where the title of this series comes from. First Corinthians 1, verse 18. If you've got a Bible, follow along, uh, but the text will be behind me. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. This is God's word to us. And I wonder if you can think of a time when you've made a decision in your life which you thought at the time was a brilliant decision. It was the good and right thing to do, but then later, maybe a week later, maybe a year later, uh, you look back on it very differently, and you go, that was a dumb idea. That was foolish. I asked a couple of people about this, and they gave me some examples. Some of these examples are true of me. Some of them are not. I'll leave you to guess. Uh, But perhaps you or someone you know, in their youth, got a tattoo, 
And they thought, this is brilliant, this is witty, and this is artistic. And now as they've aged, it seems less brilliant, witty, and artistic. Perhaps you've made a purchase in your life. I don't know, a car, a boat, a house. You thought this is going to be enjoyable, it's going to be a great investment. But on reflection, actually it's none of those things. It's a bit of a lemon. I've definitely done that one. Or perhaps there has been a relationship that you thought was it. Someone who is going to complete your life uh, only to find out that they took a lot of your life. Just the opposite. Something come to mind for you? And I ask, as all of us have examples, and I mean all of us, have examples of thinking we know what is right, that we know what is wise, but then we find out otherwise. And the preacher Timothy Keller gives a a really good example of this, saying that all of us can look back on our lives 10 to 15 years ago, if we can remember where we were 10 to 15 years ago, and the decisions that we made and the the things that we said, and we we can recall ones that we regret. We can, can't we? We can all do this. We look back on those times and think, you fool, Mike, why did you say or do that? But then he he extrapolates, uh, Keller extrapolates from there and points out that in 10 to 15 years' time, I'm going to look back on my current self and think the exact same thing about some decisions and things that I say. Which means that right now, I am a fool to my future self. Which is a very clever way of Keller to point out that I'm a fool. But it's it's true of us all. We can all look back on those decisions, things that we've said, and go, oh, why? Why did I do that? And at the time, we thought some of them were brilliant. We thought some of them were obviously the right thing to do, uh, but now we think very differently. And I don't share this to bring you down or to call you fools, even though I'm sort of aware I've done that for everyone here. Uh, But I am including myself in that. I share this because we are all examples. All of us are examples of thinking we know what is right, what is wise, and then actually finding out otherwise. But what does this have to do with the cross? What does this have to do with the message of the cross? Well, Jesus' cross is the greatest and clearest communication of God's character, God's mission, and God's goodness towards you and towards this world. Nothing else compares with it. Now, there are a lot of other good examples in the Bible, but the cross of Jesus is the clearest example. It is the pinnacle. It is the very heart. It is top of the mountain that everything leads to or everything leads from. But not everyone sees it this way. Not everyone understands it the same. Paul in our passage wrote to the church in Corinth that the message of the cross, what it means, what it tells us, what it shows us, what we understand it has done for us, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Very, very different take on the cross. Very, very different understanding of the cross. And Paul hits upon a contrast here that centers around the cross. He's saying the cross divides us. It divides all people. It is a test that separates us into two groups. Either we see it as foolishness or we see it as power. 
And in verse 22, Paul expands on this where he talks about how Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. Now, Paul is speaking generally here, but his point is that the value, the value which Jews looked for or prized was the value of power, of strength. They looked for and expected a strong God. They looked for and expected a strong Messiah or Savior from God. And we can see how they would expect this. God had been powerful for them in their history. God had powerfully led them out of slavery in Egypt. But then Jesus turns up and and they're excited about Jesus. Jesus' teachings about God are, are motivating and they're powerful. But then, to top it all off, Jesus is arrested. He's put in chains. He's condemned. He is hung on a cross. He dies in a humiliating death, naked and destitute. Where's the power now? And Jesus' cross seems to show that show them his weakness and failure as the Messiah, the Savior of God. In difference to the Jews, the Greeks valued wisdom. They valued right living. And Jesus might have taught a lot about God that seemed wise, that seemed right. But his cross, his painful death seemed anything but wise to them. How is a painful death where you're stripped naked and beaten and you lose everything, how is that intelligent or clever, or wise. What does that accomplish? And just like many Jews, Jesus' death was a stumbling block to these Greeks. It made no sense to them. They were fine with Jesus up until the cross, and then it was like, doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. This is foolishness. This is weakness. And this is why Jews understand the message of the cross as weakness, And Greeks understood it as foolishness. But importantly, not all Jews and Greeks. As verse 24 tells us, those Jews and Greeks whom God had called, they understood Jesus' cross as the proof of God's power and wisdom for them. They understood it completely differently. They understood Jesus' cross as the very fulfillment of their need for power and wisdom. So how has this division around the cross come about? How can people desiring power and wisdom stumble over Jesus' cross while others see it as God's power and wisdom for them? And the answer here has to do with our need. It has to do with our realization of our weakness and foolishness and what we need God to do for us what you need God to do for you. Let me give you an example of this, of where Jesus talks about this in his teaching. In Matthew 5, Jesus gives his sermon on the mount. Uh, It is his teaching about the Christian life, about what it means to follow him and live in the kingdom of God. And at the start of it, Matthew 5 verse 3, Jesus gives us some beatitudes or characteristics that will mark the Christian life. And he tells us, what we will gain from them. And there's nine of them, but the first four are, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
Now you tell me, do these beatitudes, these characteristics, do they sound powerful to you? Not very, do they? They don't. No, they're what we'd often associate with weakness. And we should wonder, how is it wise? How is it wise to be poor in spirit or to mourn or to be meek or to hunger and thirst for righteousness? How is that wise? How is that blessed? And the answer is Jesus. The answer is the cross. Because no one will see the cross as powerful or wise for them until they know their own need. As someone who is poor in spirit and in need of help, as someone who mourns over their sin, as someone who is meek or humble before God because he is God, and I'm most definitely not, the facts would prove. And as someone who knows they don't have the righteousness they need or this world needs. It is with this understanding, this mindset, this spirit that we will then perceive Jesus for who he is for us, the power and wisdom of God. That he is the one who gives us a place in the kingdom of heaven. Well, that's pretty blessed, isn't it? That he is the one whose cross, whose death comforts our mourning over my sin. Why do I have any comfort over my sin? Because of the cross. That he is the one who promises us an inheritance, if I can say the word, without compare. The earth will be ours. Now that's an inheritance. And it is he who fools us, yes, who on the cross, as he loses everything, he gives us the righteousness we need. All these things we're going to celebrate soon as we share communion together. That's what this table, this meal is about. Paul in our passage spoke of the other side of this awareness of our need, of people who who aren't aware of their need. When he said, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of our, of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Now hear me here. Paul is not hating on wise people or philosophers. He's not. He doesn't have a bone to dig with philosophers. Note that he includes teachers of the law in the same group with them. This is teachers of God's law included in the same group. What Paul is pointing out here is that reliance upon anything, anything for our righteousness, our right standing in this world, is foolishness. The wisest person. You think of the wisest person you know. Picture them in your mind. That person needs Jesus. And they need to know that they need Jesus. They cannot approach God otherwise. Think of the best teacher of God's law that you know. Someone who knows the Bible forwards and backwards. Think of them. Picture them. They need Jesus. And they need to know that they need Jesus. They need to humble themselves. Or they have nothing, nothing to stand on. And think of the the best philosopher of our age who, who thinks deeply about what is valuable and right. Think of them. Picture them. They have nothing to stand on apart from Jesus. No hope apart from Jesus. They need 
to know their need of the cross. They do. God has made a way in the cross that looks foolish and weak to us, but it is the way that all of us must come because God's seeming foolishness and weakness in Jesus' death is actually more wise and more powerful than our best wisdom and power. It is more righteous and effective than our most careful words or our best deeds. It is. And it's a gift for us. Amazingly. So what do we take from this? What do we take away from this? And I want to give you three things this morning. Three things is a lot more, but let's have three things at least. Firstly, a test. What do we think we need? What do you think you need? Because our answer to the small question will show what we understand about ourselves. It will show what we understand about God and it will show what we understand about the cross. Do we know that we are foolish and weak? Do we know that? I think at times we might feel it, but do we know it? Whatever our bank balance, whatever our IQ, whatever our job, however much we can bench press or physical strength we have, do we know, all of us know, that we are in desperate need of God's help? Because it's only when we know how foolish and weak we are that we can come to understand and grasp God's power and strength for us. Hear me, if you try and take hold of Jesus while holding on to your own strength, you're going to struggle and most likely fail. You will. It is only when we are poor in spirit. It is only when we mourn, mourn over our sin. It is only when we are meek and when we hunger and thirst for righteousness that we truly understand God's gift to us in Jesus' death on the cross. And if we do know this then, then we should also know how blessed we are. We should. Because again, whatever our bank balance is, whatever our IQ, whatever our job, however much we can bench press or however strong or weak we are, we are amazingly blessed in Christ. Amazingly. Stupendously. You are going to inherit the earth. Hello. That's a good deal. You have a part, a place, a belonging in God's kingdom. I don't know what you're going to lose. Probably quite a few things. You you can't lose that. You can't. No one can ever, ever take it from you. Isn't that great? We might be people who mourn. No, I should say we are people who mourn. It's one of the things that define us as Christians But we have a comforter, an amazing comforter. We look at this cross and we are comforted because I know my sin has been dealt with. Has been. And tomorrow when I get up, I'm going to have to remember my sin has been dealt with. Has been. These are not small promises, are they? And they're not even all of them as a thing. There's more. So a test. What do we need? 
What do we need? Secondly, we should expect the world, we should expect people to struggle with the cross. We shouldn't be surprised by it. And while their their struggle with the cross is, is sort of a struggle with their worldview, with their expectations that they bring of themselves and of God, the root of their struggle, the root of their struggle is actually pride. It's a, it's a self-sufficiency that they have got it together. And the thing is, we know it's true. All of us are proud, aren't we? We are. We love to think that we know what is good and right. That's the problem. We love to think that we know what is good and right. Love it. I'm right. I know what's good. That's the wrong love. That is the wrong love. Despite the fact I have many proofs in my life otherwise that I know what is good and right, we still think we're, we're good, that we're okay. And this means a big part of our evangelism, our work in this world, is working on this fact. We need to humbly, humbly, because we know our need, but humbly show the world its need. And we can do this in a whole bunch of ways. Usually we talk about our awareness of our need, which is a good way. It keeps us humble, doesn't it? But the aim is that people will see that they will grasp who they are before God because it's then that they will grasp who Jesus is for them. How many of us, how many of us had to lose if not go to the very bottom before we recognized Jesus, before we recognized the cross, before we recognized what God had done for us. How many? There's a few of us, eh? I thought I knew it. Turned out I didn't. Then I had to lose a few things along the way. Then I knew it. Then I forgot it and had to know it again. You know, that's sort of how life works. We're fickle people, aren't we? But we should do this with humility because it's true of us But while we are humble in it, we do it with a certainty that there's no other way. There is no other way to come to God. There's no other way to recognize who Jesus is without recognizing our desperate need of what he's done for us. And lastly, that we have good news. We have great news for the foolish and weak of this world. I've sort of said it already, but do you know who is foolish and weak biblically? in the biblical sense of foolishness and weakness? Me. I am. I am. And if I don't seem very foolish to you, just talk with my wife. It's true. And if you think I've got it together with God, you can also talk to my wife as well, or just hang out with me for a little while, and I will prove you wrong. But when someone who is wise or powerful in their own eyes hears about Jesus and the cross, Hear me, I want to be careful. God can redeem them. God can, but it's going to be hard. It is going to be hard. Jesus said it was easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It's possible with God, but it's hard. But someone someone who knows that they are foolish before God, who knows that they haven't made good decisions about living living in life and living in relation to God. Do you know how close they are to the kingdom of God? They are one step away. One step. 
Jesus is close to that person. And someone who knows that they are weak, who has come to the point of of spiritual exhaustion, they've, they've got nothing more, that they can't save themselves. Do you know how close they are to the kingdom of God? One step away. One step. And it's an incredibly easy step because Jesus is right there next to them. And we're the people who know him. We're the people who know Jesus and we are the people to make him known. That's good news to share, isn't it? It's good news that we know as well. This is our saviour. This is his cross and this is our good news. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are all lovers of ourselves. We have tried to do it in our own strength. We've tried to work out what is good and right to us, and we have failed. And as we come to this table now, that points to you. That reminds us, that shows us what you have done for us. I pray that we would rest in you. That while we mourn, we grieve over our sin, we look to you, the one who has given his life, indeed whose body was broken for us and whose blood was poured out for us, and that you would indeed comfort us. And oh Lord, I pray that if there is anything not right in me and us this morning that is still outstanding, that you would bring it to our minds And you would give us no rest until we rest in you. Oh Lord, we we hunger. We thirst for righteousness. We've tried to gain that righteousness in our own strength and it doesn't work. And it was never going to work. That was a pipe dream. But oh, that you have sent your son, God. You have sent Jesus for us to give his righteousness for us. What a wonder this is. What a delight. That there is indeed power in his blood. Wonder working power that yes, yes, in this crucified man, there is a savior. There is a savior for us and a savior for this world. I pray feed us now. Feed us now as we eat and drink of you, Jesus, as we delight in who you are for us, the people you have redeemed for yourself. I pray this in your name. Amen.